0: views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from running your life? Join award-winning author, Dr. Friedemann Schaub from Empowerment Radio, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools and approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. This is the time to empower yourself. Now, here's your host. Dr. Friedemann Schaub.
1: Welcome to Empowerment Radio. It's another Wednesday and we will talk about something I believe quite exciting, which is your dog and anxiety and what the two have in common. Now, maybe you don't like dogs. Maybe you don't have a dog. Maybe you're afraid of dogs. Don't turn the radio off, just stay with it. There will be something also for you if you are struggling with anxiety or if you know someone who struggles with anxiety. It's a topic that a lot of people are dealing with right now, either personally or in their circles of friends or family. So we'll talk about it in a moment. But I want to just tell you a little funny story that happened to me, which... um, is kind of showing you how important communication is and really understanding messages properly and right. So we are in France, we are having some, you know, shopping that uh, we are doing in different stores. And there is one store in France, which is called Picard, which is basically specializing on frozen food. Now, that's not the frozen food, like the you know the the tv dinners uh, the staufers or uh, hungry man or something these are really beautiful well tasting and uh, also often organic foods that are put together when you don't have a lot of time and in fact the french sometimes serve in dinner parties part of their uh, part of their meal from that store so it's certainly something that they don't uh, sneeze at and they take advantage of So we went there, we roamed around, we got something nice. And there was one package that Danielle, my wife, got, which was um, this beautiful mixture of my two favorite vegetables, which are broccoli and potatoes. Now, is potato vegetable? Well, I guess I see it as a vegetable. In any case, so she bought it. We had, you know, prepared dinner. We were sitting down. I, of course, go first to that, what I was looking forward to, to that uh, vegetable mix. And geez, it was awful. It was terrible. It was completely bland. It looked like something they're serving in the space shuttle out of a tube. And uh, it really had somehow, you know, no whatsoever appeal to it. So after two forks, I just stopped and didn't want to eat it anymore. Well, so we were wondering, what's what's wrong with that? Is it just, you know, maybe going bad? Well, can anything go bad in the freezer, really? So we looked closer at the package, and then we read that it said for six months or older recommended. So we basically bought baby food, and we had no idea that it was baby food. And so I really realized that now I understand much more why babies actually cry, because I was close to crying myself, and uh, it just shows you, sometimes it's good to read the labels and maybe read the manual, and sometimes it's just also good to understand the language. So the story leads into also that what we are talking about, which is ultimately the communication with yourself. Do you really always understand yourself? Did you come with an owner's manual Or is there anyone who can read the instructions on how to make you tick and make you happy and satisfied? Probably not. And the one thing that we are often struggling the most with are emotions. And I think it's interesting that when you really think about it, emotions are basically that what makes life worth living, right, I mean, nothing really has a meaning if we don't feel anything about it. Think about it, the last time you drank a glass of milk. Unless you were really thirsty and it was beautiful cold milk that you gulped down, you probably didn't feel anything about it. And so you probably forgot about it. Or maybe you had milk that was going bad and you spit it out. Or maybe you were like me, totally absent-minded and you put orange juice in the milk and then you felt like, oh my God, what is that? Where did this come from? But other than that, if there are no emotions if there is not a sensation with it, you forget it. So, if we wouldn't feel anything, life would be ultimately completely forgettable. We would just not really have anything to go back to when we we're 85, sitting on the park bench and just, you know, wanting to go back on that uh, memory lane. We wouldn't find anything because we don't remember anything without emotions. So, why is it then? that we are at the same time not ever told how to deal with emotions, what to do with emotions, where are emotions coming from and what are they actually trying to tell us? Because emotions are communication, a form of communication, but for many people, me included, for a long time, it was more like a foreign language. Someone speaking Vietnamese to me or something like this and I didn't understand a word when I had feelings. So naturally what we do especially if these feelings are unpleasant, we push them aside, we don't want to necessarily pay attention to them, we distract ourselves from them. And one of those feelings we avoid the most is anxiety. Anxiety is something that is as we have heard from, you know, all these statistics and uh, you know, surveys, probably the epidemic in our 21st century. More and more people struggling with it. There are more forms of anxiety disorders popping up, and there is, for some reason, not really a clear understanding on what are we doing with this anxiety? What does it actually mean? Now, in fact, when it comes to anxiety, it gets really demonized because it feels bad. I was struggling with anxiety for a long time, and. It felt horrible and I really didn't know what to do. And so my parents who were doctors gave me some little pills. I think they were more like uh, herbs than, you know, something uh, medicine, but uh, it didn't really do anything. So I had to somehow help myself. They didn't send me to a psychologist or a therapist to help me work through my emotions. I didn't learn how to deal with my emotions so I somehow find my own way and one of the ways to deal with it when the anxiety got really bad was to take my cat into my bed and got a little comfort from her big body and her uh, purring that you know made me feel a little bit more relaxed other times I developed a full-fledged uh, obsessive compulsive disorder where I imagine that if I straighten out the carpets in the house or if I'm praying a 100 times to God, nothing's bad going to happen. The sky will not fall. But all of those things, of course, are not really making you feel that you understand your anxiety more or that you're really addressing it. You're just trying to either compensate for it, manage it, outsmart it, run away from it. Nothing it that really gets you into a better form of communication with your own feelings. Now, the problem with anxiety, as I said, is that it can really be so overwhelming. For anyone who ever had a panic attack, you know this is like the boogeyman jumping on your back and screaming in your ear. It just feels like so overwhelming. It feels so confusing. You feel that you cannot think straight. Your heart is pounding. You're breathing fast you just don't know if you should freeze disappear run or get that boogeyman off your back you just don't know what to do and so in those moments it feels like there is something really awful happened to you and you don't realize that you actually did that to yourself now this is not about blaming it is not saying well it's your fault that you're feeling anxious well if someone would have told me that, I would have been really mad at them. No, this is just to realize that these emotions are not coming from anywhere outside of you. This is not like the flu epidemic. This is not a virus. This is something, thing and energy that you are creating inside of you. And it's something that you f- can find a relationship with. You can find a way to understand this emotion and its messages more. But for that to happen, you have to change your mind. We have to think differently about anxiety. We have to try to see it from a perception or a perspective that makes us actually feel a little bit more maybe positive towards it or have a little bit more an open heart towards it or maybe also feel like more responsible for it. have that sense of, okay, when there is something anxious inside of me, I want to help it. I want to take care of it. Well, how do we do this? And for that, I just love analogies. I love to understand things by making them somehow tangible, something that makes sense to us, where we really can look at it and say, okay, well, maybe if the anxiety is similar to, then... I can do something about it. And this is what we talk about today. What if you would look at anxiety like you would look at your dog who is barking? Or maybe who is, you know, a little scared and has a tail between the legs. What if you would learn to address your anxiety like you do address and help and lead and support your beloved animal? Well, for this to work we have to ask ourselves, what does anxiety and a dog have in common? When we come back, we will talk more about this because you will find that there are a lot of things they have in common and there are a lot of ways you can actually befriend your anxiety. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman Schaub, And uh, before I forget, like I often do, let me give you my website. It's thefearandanxietysolution.com. On the website, you will find out a lot about how to overcome fear and anxiety. There are guided meditations that you can download for free. There is an anxiety test that can give you some insights on what is your anxiety level, and are you struggling with it? There are excerpts from my book. There are self-hypnosis recordings. There are a video seminar that is on demand that you can start any And then there's also information about my individual private sessions that I have with clients all over the world, via Skype, Zoom, or the phone. So if you do struggle with fear and anxiety and you need help and you really have tried Things that just don't seem to work. Whether it's medication, you feel like, well, somehow I'm more, yeah, maybe numbed out than I do feel alive. And uh, even though I have less anxiety, I also feel less engaged in life. Or maybe you feel like, you know, somehow I've talked about all my anxiety, but it's still there. There There's something deeper inside that hasn't been addressed. Or maybe you just recently got anxious and panicky and you just want to really nip it and you want to really find out what it actually trying to tell me and what can I do to overcome, heal, and outgrow it, you may want to just send me an email with any questions or set up a free consultation. I offer free consultations for anyone who wants to learn more about what the individual breakthrough and empowerment sessions can do for you. Thefearandanxietysolution.com. Well, we're talking about dog and anxiety? How is your dog and anxiety similar? And, you know, this is not something that is supposed to diminish your, you know, suffering or make fun of it. Not at all. In fact, I just want to open your eyes and ideally open your heart that whatever is inside of you that is anxious ultimately has good intentions and can become like something that you can befriend and maybe even see as an ally now the first thing a dog and a uh, and uh, the anxiety have in common is that they both want to protect you now a dog of course you know, looks out for burglars or, you know, any potential danger. And that's exactly what the anxiety does as well. The anxiety that comes from the subconscious mind, it's a deeper part of the mind. It's not a a conscious intellectual process, you know, otherwise it would always make sense when we feel anxious, but how often doesn't it make sense? How often do we feel actually that at the most inopportune moment you feel all of this emotional uh, upheaval happening inside of you. So it's something that comes from that more irrational, illogical part of the mind. And this part, this subconscious has two main missions. One is to keep you safe. And the other one is to make you happy, just like a dog. Dog can make you really happy and you know, wag the tail, jumped up on you. There is no one like a dog that can greet you when you come home and show you how much he or she missed you. And anxiety may not wag the tail, but it definitely also is something that wants just to make sure that you're okay. Now both also set off false alarms. And that's something you know we have heard about fear, which is basically the cousin of anxiety. Fear, the acronym is false evidence appearing real. And that basically means that, well, somehow anxiety or fear both can get triggered by something completely irrelevant. Just like the dog is barking at the mailman or when a car is pulling up next door. And that's something that our anxiety does too. Something triggers it. You wake up in the morning, and you may have just a thought about work, you know, you're late for, you know, your deadline, or maybe your colleagues went to lunch without you and you're believing, well, they don't like me, maybe they know something I don't know, maybe I get fired, and you know how those thoughts are spiraling out of control. Or you have, you know, maybe uh, not such a great time with your spouse or your significant others and you already are envisioning the divorce and the breakup. So what those false alarms often are about are the what ifs. Just like a dog hears a noise and says, what if this is really something dangerous? What if this is something we have to pay attention to? And that's the same thing with anxiety. The anxiety is ultimately coming from a place of, well, better be safe than sorry, better barking one time too much, than one time too little. Now, it really depends, and this is the third thing a dog and anxiety have in common. It depends also on where this comes from, meaning like the history. When I grew up, we had several dogs, and uh, one of them was a beautiful German Shepherd dog. His name was Prince Siddhartha, and he wasn't really a prince, and he was actually more a wimp because he was always afraid always afraid when we went with him in the car he always was afraid of you know being left behind or being you know maybe sent away he was afraid uh, when we left the house and let him there for a while that we wouldn't come back because he was standing by the door or he was whimpering and uh, well the reason was that he grew up in basically not one, but five different places. It was a family that um, unfortunately dabbled more in drugs than anything else. And so they had sometimes money to feed him and sometimes they didn't. And then they gave him to someone else who just took barely care of him and then they took him back. And so this dog was pushed around many times and could never really get attached to anyone until he finally, at the age of five, came to us. But the trauma, that feeling of, well, the world is not safe, or maybe I will get uh, given away again, and maybe the dog was feeling like, well, there must be something wrong with me that nobody wants me. Maybe I'm not lovable, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not worthy. I don't know if a dog will ever go that far, but let's assume that it would. Wouldn't that sound exactly like some of our anxiety, because we have our history basically as a reference point, especially the subconscious mind. See, the subconscious is way more active, especially early in our lives than our conscious mind. When the conscious mind is kind of half asleep and doesn't really understand anything, the subconscious already tries to figure out, okay, what does that mean? And how does that keep us safe? And how do we remain, you know, in a place where we have food and shelter, the subconscious is on it. Even in the womb, the subconscious is already trying to figure things out and feeling the emotions of the mother and hearing the noises of the environment. And there's certainly a lot of proof for that. But So imagine your subconscious is writing already the the laws of life early on in your life, and there are some events, maybe you felt uh, there were some trauma, maybe the parents were fighting, maybe there was a divorce going on, or you're adopted, or maybe you got bullied, or maybe you always felt like somehow very shy and sensitive, and then you had the feeling that you never really fit in anywhere. Whatever it is, your history Made your subconscious more aware and in many ways also more on alert because your subconscious feels more that there is something that it needs to protect you from. It feels more that maybe you are someone who is not good enough or weaker or cannot measure up and so you need to be more protected than if you would be different, or maybe the subconscious has the filter and the belief that the world is an unfriendly place, that you cannot trust anyone and rely on anyone. And just like our dog Siddhartha or said, you just feel more on the edge at all times. And this is something that you can address. And this is something I help people with all the time to go to those deeper root causes, understand, and resolve them. Now, on a day-to-day basis, what a dog needs, and this is kind of the, the fourth similarity, is that this is, you know, basically how you treat the animal. It will learn to also gain more trust and gain more support, gain more confidence. For example, with Siddhartha, it took about three years until that dog felt like, okay, they don't give me away. It could stay in the car and relax and didn't freak out when we left. And they are, you know, just, there were clear signs that he more and more let go of his anxiety, of his fear, and also of his, you know, maybe vigilance and was more trusting us. And that is something that uh, we can do also for our anxiety. How? Well, for example, when you have negative self-talk, this is a form of your subconscious, your anxiety barking. Address it, learn to counterbalance it. In fact, if you have a question on how to do this, send me an email at info at the and, and I will send you an article I wrote on how to counterbalance in a way that your subconscious understands it. When you're anxious, don't try just to run away from your emotion and don't buy into the emotion. The dog trainer once told me when a dog is barking, basically what it's trying to say is, hey, there's maybe something out there. I don't know. I'm going to call you know, the leader, the alpha, to check it out with me. And then we'll see what we're going to do next. Because you know, in the dog-human relationship, you are the alpha. And so the bark means hey, can you come over here and have a look? And then you are checking it out, and the dog trainer said, what you ideally do is not tell the dog, stop, stop, this is not okay. Because a dog thinks you're barking with it, and so you're both barking and the dog thinks, okay, well, he's barking, there must be something really wrong here. No, you are just calmly checking it out and then say, you know, good guy, uh, good guarding, good dog, there's nothing wrong, you can sit down, you give him a pet, and, and that's it. You just show with your demeanor that everything is fine and that this is something that, you know, it doesn't need to be upset about or bark about. And usually after a few times, the dog gets it. Your voice, the tone of voice, your body, language, your facial expression, all of this can calm it down. And this is exactly what we can learn also with anxiety. We can address anxiety with that same level of calmness and that same level of reassurance as we would do with a dog. How? I will explain after the break. Also, of course, some of you will say, well, what if, what if I'm anxious? I don't feel calm. I don't feel like I can be that leader like I would be for a dog. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, let's talk about it more after the break. Well, we are back and talking about anxiety and dogs, and uh, I just want to quickly mention the number to call in if you have any questions, 888-418-6890, or maybe you have just some comments or some interesting realizations how maybe your animal made you feel calmer and more relaxed. 888-418-6890. But we have a beautiful caller on, which is uh, right now, I think, on the line. Agatha, are you here?
2: I'm here, I'm here, yes.
1: Excellent. Well, Agatha, thank you so much for calling in. Now, I just before the break mentioned Mm. the conundrum that it all sounds nice and good to take on this role of the compassionate, caring, reassuring leader, that uh, competent uh, adult who can just calm your anxiety down. But is that really, you know, possible? Is that really doable? Now, Agatha, you had been struggling with anxiety and uh, we have been working together for a little bit. And uh, well, tell me, is it possible?
2: I think, yeah, it's absolutely possible. Um, and I think when you're in that anxious state or when you're living in those states, very often it actually feels unimaginable. Like it feels that you'll never be able to change or address that thing. Um, and I think being on the other end of it now, on the other side of it, um, It's just—it's such a relief because you realize that that thing that you thought you were bound to forever, that was a part of you, was just a temporary condition and that there is really a way to talk your way into a different way of being in this world, you know?
1: Now, was it for you uh, a journey where you would say, well, looking at this anxiety, it was just something that I had to get over with or talk myself out to or... Like you know, I talk about dog and that uh, anxiety inside of you, and having a little bit more uh, a closer and maybe more positive relationship. Was that also what happened to you? In other words, are you still afraid of your anxiety, or do you actually have more compassion for it?
2: I have a lot more compassion for it. I mean, I think when the when the when the trigger hits, I think the instant feeling maybe feels like how it used to be. But um, the cycle is just so short because there's a benevolent part of you, a compassionate part of you that's there to support that process. So um, maybe something triggers that situation, but instead of it turning into, like, a seven-hour fest of anxiety, like, there's a whole person now that has space for that anxious person, and I can have a dialogue with it that shes and then I'm able to take action from a different place. So I'm not building a life around that kind of anxious, reactive state. I'm building a life from this whole state. And then I'm having richer experiences and my life keeps getting brighter and warmer because of the ability to be in communion with that anxious self.
1: Now, you had certainly uh, several... Uh, triggers or let's say events. Also recently, f- I know from your life where you know you could say, well, my anxiety could have been just basically make me housebound or completely yeah. imprison me, yeah. and uh, yeah. and it yeah. didn't. And uh, maybe yeah. you know you can explain a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah,
2: yeah, um, and I you know I don't feel. Um embarrassed to share anything, but I recently just started um, getting involved with somebody so in a relationship, and that was really hard for me because I had a lot of um, triggers about how to keep my heart open in in relationship to another person, how to stay vulnerable and not shut down, Um, and so my anxiety was going through the roof, um, more so because I was growing into this new part of my life, and I was being challenged to... Um, to to deal with those old triggers in a in a really kind of immediate way. And I keep thinking that, like, if I had not had the dialogue that I have now with this part of myself, I wouldn't have even been able to step into this relationship because I would have been shutting everything down every step of the way that I felt that old pain or that old shame or those old feelings that caused my anxiety. And I wouldn't have... Allowed myself to have the experiences that are now growing and blossoming from this state of wholeness. I keep saying that word wholeness, but um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it, and it felt hard. It felt hard for me in the moment because, um, like I th- like I think I said, I was expanding to this new part of my life. But but I every single step of the way had a dialogue for that anxious self, and then when I was able to. Um, soothe her or quiet her. I was able to go into the world and have a brand new experience, not the old story. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, that's really powerful because you know I think you know, one of the things we often are also feeling is the identity that is the anxiety, where you know anxiety yeah. goes in hand in hand with shame and insecurity. And uh,
2: yeah. when you think yeah, about yeah. your
1: own journey. Do you feel like that by addressing where the anxiety came from and understanding more the subconscious patterns and beliefs that were attached to it, that you also found more about yourself that before you didn't see? In other words, was the anxiety a catalyst for you to to that wholeness that you're feeling now?
2: Yes, you mean as in 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 the way that it has its Inherent wisdom, or something that the anxiety has. Well, or, or like wisdom, you know, some right?
1: some people would say, I'm feeling anxious, so I'm just going to shut it down. I rather feel nothing than yeah. listening to the anxiety. And you know, I often say, anxiety is pain. It's a pain of a wound yeah. that hasn't healed. It's a pain of a past yeah. that had been resolved. And it's a pain of not really feeling whole, but feeling fragmented. So when you when you look at it more from that pain by mm-hmm. not running away from it, by addressing it, what did you gain from it?
2: I think I gained so much personal dignity, which I think is like, um, I mean, it's just a, it's, that's just such a gift. I can't even explain what that's like, which is that I mean there's no parts of anything that have happened to you on your journey that you can't stand behind and love and support. And bring with you everywhere you go that you're not compartmentalized or shunning or hiding certain parts of yourself, you know, that you get to experience the fullness of yourself in the world, you know, I think... I was in a I was in a box because I was only able to be I was only able to be in my life when I felt that the conditions were right. Do you know what I mean? Like when I felt that I had control of the anxious self and now I could walk out into the world and be perfect. But now that illusion of perfection kind of fell away because what came was a deep sense of compassion and dignity for the past, for the for oh. the old hurt. Um, and the ability to hold those with me with love wherever i go and i think i mean even more powerfully than for myself it's, it's awoken an immense compassion for everyone in my life you know i look at other people now and when i see them struggling or spinning out or getting nervous or having a meltdown i don't even sit in judgment over them you know i have an ability to be compassionate and present to that experience in them and I've seen that my ability to even do that for them melts that anxious self in them you know so it's like has this huge domino effect where that self-love that I've found it comes it's, it's being offered and it's there for other people as well you know so it's like your whole yeah. world gets better. Your whole world gets better because you learn, how to, you learn how to be compassionate to those parts of yourselves and then everybody in your life benefits from that because you're able to do that for other people too. And that's what everybody needs, right? At the end of the day, it's like the dignity for whatever's happened to them and the understanding and the love and care for that experience, not the shame for that experience, you know?
1: Well, so. that's exactly, I mean, that's so beautiful that you're saying it, because I believe in the past, and you know, most people would do this when we feel anxious and insecure, and then someone around us is negative. It's not compassion for the people that comes up. It's usually we take it personally, and we are more withdrawing, or we are more feeling like more ashamed and more insecure. So the fact mm-hmm. that you don't take these negativities or their struggles personally but you can see through them and you don't Mm -hmm. see it as a rejection you didn't see it as a reflection on you but you are actually seeing more like wow they need a little compassion and kindness and I mean that's just beautiful now do you feel that you had to somehow develop love for your anxiety to go to that place Mm -hmm. where you're now yeah
2: yeah absolutely I mean it's it's literally you know I had this conversation with a girlfriend of mine that is also working with you, but we were just talking about how um you know one of the first steps is like when you meet these when you meet these anxious parts and you realize that like you you have inherited you are their loving parent, and it is your it's not your job it's you actually have the ability to do that it's like one of the first steps for me was like. I didn't want that responsibility, you know, and then it literally felt like I was sitting with a child in a room that was throwing a tantrum and the child was me, you know, and it was like, we're going to figure this out, kid, you know, and that was like the first loving thing I could say, and it's, you know, now that dialogue is a lot more loving, but I, I was telling my friend, you know, if that's the least you can do, if the least you can do is say like all right, I don't know how to talk to you, but I am here and I'm going to try, you know, that that is like step one in that, in that conversation, I think. And I had to go, I had to go through those, those were the hard moments. Do you know what I mean? The willingness to sit with myself, you know, the willingness to not numb out, the willingness To not scapegoat, the willingness to not blame someone else for my feelings, you know, the willingness to sit there, and it's it's like what you were saying earlier. It's like the more that I sat with that that part of myself, the more I learned how to trust myself, and she learned how to trust me, and that trust keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, and it's a resilience, you know, at beyond behind that trust is a resilience. And that resilience is, is then what feels like calm and ease and all these beautiful things in life that we're seeking that are so far from those anxious states, you know?
1: Wow, that's really beautifully said. And, you know, it just shows you also that, I mean, when you think about the sliding door phenomenon and you think about you would have kept your more hostile and, uh, Adverse relationship with anxiety and you would have not embraced it and you would have not opened yourself up to it You would have not Mm -hmm. all the other Experiences that you're describing because somehow you would have always felt like well. I am Fragmented in myself or I am in my battle with myself. So I don't trust myself How can I trust even anyone else around me? So It definitely, you know, making peace with anxiety was the first step for you to also have a fuller experience of life.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because if you can't, I mean, if you can't trust yourself, then you can't trust anyone else and you can't trust life and the experience of being here. And that trust is vital to having the most beautiful experience, you know.
1: Well, Agatha, thank you so much for calling in. I know that a lot of people are inspired and touched by what you're saying because you are someone I think you can really say you have not only healed your relationship with anxiety, you have grown and expanded beyond it. And uh, mm-hmm. and that is just such a a wonderful way of also understanding that anxiety doesn't have to be a lifelong struggle or something that you feel like burdened with for the rest of your life. You can actually have that powerful emotion, that powerful part inside of you and have it as a catalyst uh, for your own growth and ultimately coming to yourself. Because like in your case, many people realize well, I was not current. I wasn't really my true self. I didn't even know what it means to be authentic until I was addressing the the pain and that what the anxiety was trying to convey me. And now I know more who I really am. And I think that is really ultimately the purpose of life and the journey that we're here for. So thank you so much for sharing.
2: Well, thank you and thank you so much for being my my partner on this healing journey and i just i just want to say it's like i knew that when i had heard you for the first time i i could just sense that there was something in your voice in in your approach that we were going to be able to handle it you know and i had spent so much time searching for a way to heal these parts and to become this full version of myself and it in those earlier moments, it just always felt like I was going to be changed to those selves forever, those hard selves, and never, never feel the ease and comfort I was looking for. And I got to mm-hmm. the bottom of it, to the source of it, with your help. And um, I'm grateful and appreciate it so much.
1: Well, thank you very much. And uh, I have deep gratitude for your commitment because that's one mm-hmm. of the things that also is a parallel to how to be with your dog. You have to be consistent. You have to be committed. (laughs) And you have to be compassionate. So thank you for showing up in all those ways. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Me too.
1: Well, there are questions people have been asking. Uh, There was a message that I got. And it was exactly the message about that fear of being overwhelmed by your anxiety. So you don't really know what to do with it. It's like that sense of, well, it's all nice and good to befriend your anxiety, but what if you have a panic attack or what if you just feel overcome by it and what do you do then? And well, the answer is basically that it's a little bit like, you know, if you would say, well, I only really think about losing weight when my blood pressure is, you know, skyrocketing and my knees are hurting and as soon as the pain is gone, I'm ignoring my body again. Or you would say, I only learn how to drive on black eyes. You, you know, it's, it's these intense moments that are the challenges. I completely understand it. But anxiety is present probably much more often than in those moments when you feel like heart, your heart is jumping out of your chest. Anxiety is probably like an undercurrent that you wake up with. There may be a constant little tension inside of you. You may be able to hear negative thoughts at all times, and you may feel that anxiety is something that is like the noise of the refrigerator. You just try to tune it out, but somehow it's still there. And that is what you need to address. That is where you want to start. You want to get a relationship with your anxiety So that it doesn't go to the point of the panic. See, panic attacks are in some ways like the pressure cooker that you have kept closed. And you put more and more pressure of stress and anxiety into it until it's just overflowing or exploding. And so, in other words, it's more unaddressed anxiety. And it's not really the main symptom. So be aware that in order to get a relationship with the anxiety, just like you would want to get a relationship with your dog, you want to go to the places where it's not out of control, but where there are just little inklings and moments where it starts. And that's something that you can do by, for example, taking note of your negative thoughts, by, for example, when you do have that sense of well there is an anxiety that gets triggered in certain situations that you understand what those situations mean and how they may be uh, leading you back to some limiting beliefs or traumatic events and then you're learning how to resolve those Maybe, maybe through the book that i wrote or maybe through the video seminar or maybe through individual sessions and you can also notice then that there is something that When you spiral and when you feel like you know okay i'm maybe putting too much on my plate or i'm ignoring myself again because i'm making other people more important than myself that those are the moments where your anxiety is barking at you and then you just take care of yourself you may want to sit down you may want to just take some breath learn to meditate you may want to see that well i'm actually always getting anxious when i eat something bad or when i don't eat at all There are things that the anxiety is trying to convey to you, which may be about your health and your balance and staying in your power. So look at it, understand it, remind yourself, the anxiety wants to support me. It doesn't really want to hurt me. And with that attitude, you can also start to befriend your anxiety. And that's something that uh, Agatha so beautifully expressed that her anxiety led her to herself. Addressing the anxiety, understanding the anxiety, listening to it, made her actually open up to her and to many of her potential and abilities and ability to have compassion and love and acceptance for others that she wouldn't really know before that she had. And so, you know, many people told me that the anxiety made them a better person. So there is really Nothing for you to fear. It's just something to understand and communicate with. Now there was also another uh, little note I got on the chat board. Basically, the question is: In my profession, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I I never show my anxiety to my clients, even when I could demonstrate my empathy. How do I? How do you recommend I share without creating more anxiety in my clients? Now, I don't believe that necessarily sharing anxiety with someone is, um, you know, at all times appropriate, depends on the relationship. So when you are in the relationship, you know, let's say, for example, I am working with a lot of clients and believe it or not, I do have anxiety at times. So there are times when I feel maybe stressed or nervous or overwhelmed. So what I share is more like those situations and how I dealt with them and how I learned from those situations. What I share is also with people that, uh, you know, I'm working with or I'm close with when the anxiety is telling me something, you know, when the anxiety is telling me this doesn't feel right, or I'm feeling like I'm, you know, maybe putting too much pressure on Uh, myself in this situation, or I'm having too high expectations, or whatever it is. So if you have a relationship with your clients where you feel the anxiety is telling you something, maybe it's about demands of your client you feel uncomfortable with, and you feel like, well, this is not really sitting well with me, that's a little bit against my values, then the anxiety needs to be translated into that, what it actually tries to tell you. And then you become the advocate for the anxiety or maybe you feel like there's too high of an expectation from your client and that creates anxiety then you want to address that issue so rather than just speaking about what you feel you take responsibility for translating and understanding where the feelings come from what they're telling you and then you address and respond to those messages now All of this, of course, can go on forever. We have so much to talk about when it comes to anxiety and there's so much to learn and it's such a, a rich topic. But I hope I left you not only with a more positive connection to anxiety, but also with some motivation to do something about it. Because as Agatha and many of my clients are Telling you, anxiety is not just about getting rid of it. Anxiety and really learning to heal and outgrow it is such an anxiety, uh, such an exciting, <laughs> such an exciting journey that ultimately really leads you to a more expanded and empowered version of yourself. So the outcome and who you are at the end of the journey is so much more than you can even imagine is possible for you. So I hope you get excited about the possibilities of getting closer to your anxiety, seeing it more as a guide, as an ally, befriending you with it, and then seeing what's possible through addressing it, responding to it, and opening your heart towards it. Because when you open your heart to your anxiety, when you have compassion for your struggles, ultimately you really learn to love yourself unconditionally until next time this is dr friedman shop have a wonderful rest of the week goodbye
0: you've been listening to empowerment radio with dr Friedman schaub join dr friedemann the first and third wednesday each month at 11 a.m pacific as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives Discover how you can use the power of your mind to overcome stress, anxiety, and overwhelm and create a solid foundation of confidence and self-esteem. Learn cutting-edge tools so that you can approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. To learn more about what Dr. Schaub can do for you, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.